0: Welcome to the E3 Podcast, where we encourage, educate, and empower female entrepreneurs. I'm Melissa Johnson, and I have a mission to help female business owners um, transform their lives and their business. On this show, I'll be interviewing female entrepreneurs that are moms, that are business owners, and we're taking a deep dive into the struggles that they're having in their business and coming up with some great solutions on how they can transform their business and their life. So thank you so much for joining the show today. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and we're going to jump right in. Hi, everybody. I am excited to have my friend Stephanie Bano out of Austin on the podcast today. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. So um, do you want to share a little bit about kind of who you are, what you've been up to, what your journey's been like so far through real estate, kind of where you're at now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I started in real estate about two years ago. Um, I had came off a very long stretch of working for one company for about seven years, non-real estate related and decided to kind of part ways with that company at that time and kind of take a break and figure out what the next adventure for me was. Um, and at that time, I, I really didn't know what I was going to get myself into. And um, my now business partner, um, I had texted him about this conference that was going to be in Austin with Tony Robbins. And they were talking about real estate. And I was like, huh, well, that seems interesting. Like, we'll go check it out. And like, who else would be interested in a conference like this out of, you know, my entire friend network. And I was like, Oh, maybe James would be interested. So I texted him and um, we ended up attending the conference throughout that weekend. And as we sat there and listened to different people speak about different real estate topics, you know, primarily flipping homes. um, We kind of started thinking like, okay, well, this is like a tangible thing that doesn't seem You know, it seems like it's a mile wide and an inch deep, but like nothing that we couldn't figure out or problem solve through or network with people to figure out how to kind of get this started. Um, So from that point, we created Yellow Dog Property back in 2018, um, summer of 2018. And really for the first year, we were kind of on the sidelines as far as like actual deals, um, trying to, you know, actually participate as a real estate investor. We kind of just went out and started networking with as many people as we could, um, started joining meetup groups. I actually um, raised my hand as a co-organizer or as the lead organizer for the Real Estate Invest Her Austin chapter. Um, Their organization is actually based out of Pennsylvania. They had reached out to their community asking if women wanted to essentially sign up as an organizer in their location. And at that time, I knew two women in real estate and I was like, sure, let's get started on this and see what happens. And actually, Melissa was so great. She was the first speaker at our meetup group um, back in Last February 2019. Yeah, I
0: remember that. That was when we first met in person.
1: Yes, that was. Yeah. And it was funny because, you know, during that time, it was like I was still trying to build the group out. So I was getting my friends and like my mom showed up. And I was like, just, I need people there to. The random guy. Remember the random guy that showed up? (laughs) (laughs) There was a random guy. It's like, is it okay that I'm here? I'm like, yeah, we're welcome to anybody that wants to come in and, and join us but obviously the the center, the focus of the group is to support women specifically. So um, again, I think a lot of the women or the, a lot of the men that actually show up to the meetup groups are typically aware of the culture that we're trying to create within our group. And they come, but they don't come to all of them. And, you know, we always welcome them to come join us if they'd like to. <laughs> so, Just make um, it super awkward for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they probably feel a little bit awkward themselves being there or if they didn't realize it was a women's group even though it's kind of posted everywhere within you know all of our social media platforms but um you know some of them will reach out to me and ask me like is it okay if I come and you know at that point it's like yeah the more the merrier but again the message of, uh, and the culture of the group is to support women not necessarily not only women but focused on women <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's such a great organization i love being part of part of the investor groups yeah, it's
1: great. I mean, you guys started your San Antonio chapter recently, correct?
0: Yep, yep. So we're doing, we're running San Antonio. Um, I'm running that with Hillary Romero and then you up there in Austin, so. Yeah,
1: it's, it's really been great. Um, we're up to 600 members on our meetup page, and I think we have about 300 on our Facebook page. So we're really gaining momentum, and um, I actually brought on Jackie Momot, who is a co-organizer with me now, and we take turns kind of planning those events and what speakers we want to bring in, and and really, both Jackie and I, uh, being on the somewhat newer side of real estate, I mean, the whole premise is, like, what does us as a collective group, including Jackie and myself, want to hear about? about, you know, what do we want to hear about in real estate investing? It's not that Jackie and I are the gurus and we know everything and can help point everyone in the right direction. It's how do we get women together that all support each other and can all network and bring together their resources. And we bring in these speakers on topics that they want to hear about and help them grow as well along with us. So I think that that's kind of the culture that we created within our group, because just coming from an unexperienced, somewhat unexperienced background in real estate, it was more so like, I'm not the guru. I'm just going to bring in people that know (laughs) this stuff and then they can talk and then we can, you know, follow up afterwards if we have more questions. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: good. Just facilitating. Yes.
1: Facilitating the networking. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we I um became an organizer for that organization, which is a fantastic organization, um back in December of 2018. So obviously the group the group has grown quite a bit since then. Um and again, me and my business partner kind of had this slow role of let's just network, let's just meet people, let's kind of learn the process, learn kind of what real estate investing is all about. Mm -hmm. Um, So we actually didn't do our first property until about a year later, which was a flip down in San Antonio. It was a pretty basic flip. Um, It was primarily cosmetic. We had it less than three months. um, And we had a partner down in San Antonio that was working with it, working with us on that. So he was kind of boots on the ground and we were able to kind of facilitate some of the things here in Austin. Mm -hmm. Um, So since then we have been and even kind of during that time we've been trying to figure out what's the best way to generate leads and i think that it has been challenging to say the least and anyone that is melissa you included has had issues trying to figure out what is the best way to generate leads um can't how much of it can you actually turn over to a virtual assistant and have them be able to um find leads call on leads actually convert the leads to deals Um, And so I think that that's been part of our struggle over the past year of figuring out like, what does that look like for us? And how do we automate so many things? Because both my business partner and I work about 50 plus hours a week individually. So with having very little time, On our side, we kind of have gotten into the position where it's like we have time to help, but we don't have time to necessarily sit down and go through every single call with a virtual assistant and talk to them through objections or really analyze, okay, so we're getting our lead list from here, what type of list, um, how are we, and what's our follow-up like, um, and all of the steps, you know, furthering that. So, I think that that's been like one of our biggest challenges is how to basically convert, like, get good leads, convert good leads into deals, and then move forward from there. Um, again, I think that it's challenging for people that work full time and have to try to make it work between like, I have a day job and then I have life responsibilities and then I want to, you know, invest in real estate as well. Mm -hmm. And my idea was always like, typically you have time or you have money. And if you have little of both, it's going to be very challenging for you to kind of get into this industry and make your way in this industry. So With my business partner and I, you know, that has been a constant struggle for us over the last, say, year and a half of finding that balance of what can we get involved in, what deals can we do with little money, but then also having, you know, somewhat limited time as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, so first of all, like, are you guys focused on multiple exit strategies or are you just, looking, you know, are you looking to wholesale? Are you looking to flip? Is it a combination of those? Are you looking
1: at long-term things? What does that look like? It would be like a combination of any of them. I think that any deal that we've gotten, I wouldn't say deal, any lead that we've gotten on our table that we've actually engaged a seller, um, you know, we think about all the possible exit strategies. Like, is this one we'd want to hold on to? Could we partner with somebody to hold on to it? Is it a fix and flip? Well, how major is the rent? renovations needed. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's too large, maybe we think about doing a wholesale deal or maybe it's just not something that we're willing to take on and possibly wholesale it. So, we've kind of, we understand a little bit about each of them um, and have kind of, we have at least like the wherewithal to be able to brainstorm through different options. Mm -hmm. Uh, But of course, there's always like a million different exit strategies that could be paired up with different type of financing. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing is like getting people on the, like, getting a good lead list, getting a good skip trace, and then being able to actually get a hold of those people. And then once you get them on the phone, making sure that they're quality calls.
0: Okay. So um, what lists are you pulling right now?
1: So we were working off a... the county website for both Bear County and Travis County, the foreclosure list. So that was information that was being pulled from the websites directly to our virtual assistant. Our virtual assistant was skip tracing them through, I think it's batch skip mm-hmm. We pre- compared a couple of them and pretty much they come up with generally the same numbers um, across the couple of companies that we, um, we piloted. And then it was just a matter of like getting them on the phone. And, you know, we had a a power dialer set up with our two virtual assistants making, you know, about 50 calls a day, Monday through Friday. And I would say that actually getting somebody on the phone was like one in 50.
0: Okay. Were you guys um, trying to straight call them or were you incorporating any
1: texting with that? Um, primarily just calling and then obviously like dropping voicemails if they didn't answer and then they would be set up on like, if they were foreclosing like the next, you know, the following months Tuesday, then they would have a more aggressive follow-up versus like you know, maybe one that hit for two months out, then they would be a little bit more staggered. I've heard things where people, other investors have been really heavy on the front end of trying to get people on the phone that has been successful. And then I've heard people being very successful on the back end closer to the foreclosure date.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause a lot of times people, you know, when they're facing foreclosure, this is what I've noticed over the years is that um, initially, I think they try to ignore the problem, you know, like they think it's going to go away or something. And so they tend to wait longer. So even though you're reaching out to them, which is good, they're probably not going to take action until they know like, oh crap, like now we're down to the wire. Like now we actually have to do something. And that's when they start calling. And then it's like, we're getting foreclosed on next week. Can you help me? And it's like, dude, I've been trying to reach you for months, <laughs> you know, but this is a pattern that I noticed. It's like, they think it's going to fix itself or, you know, or they can fix it. And there's just never enough time. And so then you, they get down to this, like down to the wire kind of situation where it's like, now I need to act, I need to do something. And then sometimes right. it's too late, you know, cause it's like, well, I can't do anything now because you've got title problems and you've got, you know, this or that. And
1: Yeah. You know, So there's that like sweet spot, right. Of like too late where you can't do anything. And then like apparently too early when they're still in denial and are like, Oh no, like my brother-in-law is going to give me the money. And like, it'll be in a couple weeks or whatever.
0: Yeah. And so, so a few things with, with that, I think is, um, well, let me ask you this too. So, um, with the, with the VA's, Was there a set process on how they were supposed to handle this? Like, did they have a script? Do they have KPIs? Like, was there, or was it It, basically, here's the list, research, call them. And if they don't answer, put them in follow-up.
1: Yeah. So it was more so towards what you just said, where there wasn't an exact script. The virtual assistant that we were working with um, had previous experience in real estate investing. So she was used to calling leads. Um, I don't know how successful she was at her previous company. Um, She was bringing in leads they just weren't like necessarily like good fits where it'd be like oh well you know I have I you know it might be like oh I have somebody giving me the money or hey I've actually had this listed on the market and I'm just going to pay the money that's past due if if we can't get it closed by then and so a lot of the leads she was bringing us weren't really like distressed leads per se um but there wasn't a specific like KPI as far as like how many people she's talking to on a daily basis versus how many calls she makes, how many of those are converted into follow-up conversations. And that was one of the things is if we did get an actual like lead on the phone, um, she would try to set up an appointment time at that time. And we would like send them a calendar invite for that time to try to make sure that they were still available and we could lock in a time right then. And a lot of those follow-up calls, they just wouldn't answer our calls or we weren't able to connect with them again. So we kind of, we had worked through some of that, at least some of the you know, troubleshooting of like, we had this great call, but then like we weren't able to get back in touch with them. So that's you know the follow up portion of it of setting calendar reminders for them um but yeah there was no like specific kpis on like lead conversion etc um there wasn't a specific script there was we created like a google form of all the things that we needed to know about the property whenever mm-hmm. she was calling so if she did get somebody engaged we would have enough information to figure out is this a deal does this make sense or like what is the actual motivation behind this distressed seller. Um, so we had that form and we typically got most of that information, but I, I think maybe, you know, one of the things, and I don't even know if it's the script per se, it, it could be just the relationship building portion that's missing because, mm-hmm. you know, if you have somebody calling you and you're like, who is this person? And they're just kind of drilling me with questions. Um, I think that that, I think that was part of, part of the issue that we're running into is the lack of relationship building so that they would accept our phone calls in the future. Um, Mm -hmm. but also probably not keeping track of, of the KPI portion as well. Okay. And not having more of like a script set.
0: Yeah. And I think it's okay to have a script. Um, but I think that in this situation, it seems like, um, there's, I think it's like, I think the problem is kind of, multi-layered because it seems like one like this person probably did not have very good training most likely like on how to do a sales call and how to build rapport Mm -hmm. so that's like if she's or whoever he or she whatever is failing to to build rapport in that conversation, you know, that's a problem if they know, how, you know, cause it's one thing to just ask a bunch of questions, just gather information,
1: mm-hmm. the
0: building of the rapport is the bigger thing. And so something to think about in the future, when, if you hire out that position again, and it was kind of a mind shift for me, for me too, cause I always, originally I had envisioned the lead manager as sort of like a, kind of like a cog in the wheel kind of thing. It's like, just get the information, set the appointment, you know? Yeah. And then over time I realized that we would actually perform better when the acquisitions person was acting as the lead manager which was not sustainable. But what I noticed the difference in that was that the sales guy, the acquisitions person, the person who's really good at making sales, they were having more of these like conversation rapport building kind of things with the people Mm -hmm. to remember that as long as you get the property address, you can find out all the details about the property. So they might be wasting too much time asking how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, how many square feet is it, does it have AC? Like all that stuff is public information that you can find. It's a time waster. What you really want to have them doing is building rapport. You want to dig, have them digging into the motivation of why they're wanting to sell the property instead of getting all these other details. You know, it's like, "Well, tell me what's going on." You know, "Well, why, why are you interested in selling? It's, you know, just like in listening a lot, you know, asking questions and then listening to what they're saying, you know, and then one that we, we use a lot too, especially with like nicer houses, you know, it's like, it sounds like a really nice house. You know, why, why aren't you listing it with a realtor? You know, and you just, when you throw that out there up front, then they tell you usually why, well, I don't want to pay commissions or I don't want to pay for this or, you know, but you use that to your advantage then, you know, negotiating part later on. So the more information that, that they can get from rapport building that helps the acquisition person, whoever's going on the appointment to meet with them face to face,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: any like information that they can have that helps them like overcome objections with them and, and have better conversations versus, you know, I see there's a hole in the roof. You know, it's like obvious, yeah. stuff, you know, that you don't really need <laughs> yeah. to spend a lot of time talking about. It's more of figuring out what the problem is because there's always an underlying problem. There's always some underlying thing. And right. you know, it takes digging to get down to that level. And if the lead manager or the VA is just asking like how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, that kind of stuff, like that's not, it's kind of a waste of time, you know, dealing with that stuff. So maybe yeah. changing the conversation just a little bit with that.
1: Yeah, I think shift it, having the VA like kind of shift those conversations that like you're really just trying to get to the root of whatever problems going on in the house instead of focusing on like numbers and how far they are behind and what the property condition is like, like that can all come up probably somewhat organically, or you'll be able to figure it out whenever somebody goes out there and actually meets them and sees the property and then offers them, you know, a price. Um, But that probably that shift of focus as far as like relationship building versus like just getting the numbers so that you can write down the numbers and be like, oh yeah, this would make sense. Let's go after it. Or like, no, this doesn't make sense. This isn't a good deal. Or this person's not distressed enough or whatever the case might be. I think that that is a, a big piece that like will help with your, you know, advice because it is really, you know, for us as investors, of course, like we just want to know all the facts and the data and like, what makes this a good deal? What makes this not a good deal? Not, what is this person and not to say that we don't care, but like, what is this person going through? What's their situation like, and really diving in more so on that end than the property itself.
0: Right. Cause you want to remember and and let them know, like we're problem solvers, you know, it's not that, you know, the point is not about the buying of the house. It's solving the problem. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, you're having an issue with this place and here's how we can help you get rid of that problem. Mm Mm-hmm kind of thing. So it's just, you know, yeah, it's a little bit of a different conversation and um, like I would have my lead manager go through actual sales training also, which I think was really helpful because then she could use some of those kind of techniques on the phone ahead of time. Mm -hmm. It's like figuring out what those objections are, you know, and figuring out more about what their situation is because I tell you this too, like, especially when you're just getting numbers, you know, all the time. Yeah. It, I mean, it's like, if you can get them, I think it's great. But if you know more about their motivation, the numbers might not look that great at first, but if the motivation is really high, sometimes the numbers don't matter because it won't matter what they owe because the problem is bigger than that. So like we've had people before where it's just like, this isn't a deal, you know, cause they owe too much and, and blah, blah, blah. But like, I remember specifically one property, um, they were in that situation, you know, where it was like, it was a nice house. It barely needed anything, but they didn't want to list it. And they owed quite a bit on it, you know, and we were just like, mm-hmm. this is where we would need to be, you know, and you're probably not willing to, to do that or whatever. Cause it would have meant them bringing money to the table and the need, the problem, the need was so much greater than the money. They ended up coming to the table with like 30 or 40 grand. Just to get rid of the house because they were in a bind and they needed to sell and move right away because he was starting a new job, like in another state, you know, and they didn't want to be landlords and they didn't have time to list it and stuff like that. So even though the numbers said this isn't a deal, the motivation
1: made it a deal.
0: Yeah, turned it into a deal. So not to rule those out always too. And I have to remind people on my team too, you know, like might not seem like a deal, but keep asking the questions because You
1: know, you
0: might not get get it right away, but once, once you know what those motivations are, you know, where they're like, well, we're going to have to move in a couple of months or something, then you know that you put those in your notes for the follow-up and then you know, like when to follow up and what that conversation should look like. You know, Mm -hmm. I know you were moving, you know, to wherever, did you ever sell your house? You know, what did you do with it?
1: Mm -hmm. You you
0: don't sell it. What are you going to do? That's one of my favorite questions now too you know, if you, if you don't sell, what are you going to do?
1: Yeah. What's your next step?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You're going to just sit on it or, you know, (laughs) what's what's the plan, but that, but asking questions like that too, gives you more information even to, Mm -hmm. to, for, to use later if you need to.
1: Yeah, and one of the things we were trying to do is is figure out what objections our virtual assistant was having on the phone so that we could kind of give her some dialogue behind that. And I think that we had started that with her and probably could have done a better job at following up with her as far as like how many of these types of objections are you getting per day? Um, and then kind of listing them out and then being able to really kind of come up with somewhat of a scripted response on you know some of the more... Um, regular or frequent objections there. Um, But I think also, you know, when you're hiring virtual assistants, it's so hard. It's just like if you were hiring like an operations person over a salesperson, like the mentality there is just so different. And so, you know, maybe she just wasn't a salesperson at heart and didn't, you know, didn't know how to kind of be a chameleon and talk in and out of conversations and um, not the way obviously like me and my business partner are. So, you know, I think that that's probably one of the things too, when you're hiring virtual assistant and trying to come up with, you know, who, who would be a good, You know, teammate, it's like focusing more so on like, do they know the information? Great, but like, can they speak intelligently about it? And can they twist and turn out of conversations that get a little sticky as well? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they don't have
0: to know all the details, is the other thing, too. I was going to say, like, you know, the last person that I had as a lead manager, she wasn't like a salesperson or anything. Her profile didn't indicate that. But I don't know if you guys use the disc test or not when you're hiring people or looking. No, we haven't. I know what it is, but we don't. (laughs) It's a really helpful tool. And this is exactly why, because, um, like the I on the disc, so it's like D I S -S C. So the I is like the, um, it's kind of like how they interact with people. Mm -hmm. If they're more like a people person or they're more kind of introverted sort of thing. And, um, what I notice that people are good lead managers, they have a really high I because they're very easy to relate to people. So this lady that was my lead manager before she was a teacher. So she was like really great at like being calm and explaining things and being very patient. So they don't necessarily have to be a salesperson. They just have to be a people person. Right. Right. The other stuff can be taught. Like you can teach people all day long, like how the process works kind of thing. But if they're Mm -hmm. not a people person, if they're not good at talking to people and communicating with people and making people feel you know, warm and fuzzy and like want them to open up. You know, you you know, you meet those people sometimes and you just like, I just told them my life story. How did that happen? You know, I barely Like
1: you, Melissa. (laughs) you heard my entire life story probably more than once and probably more in detail than you'd like to hear. (laughs) No, I love it, but I I like that. And
0: I think like having somebody like that where they're just like, you know, I like talking to people, you know, and they don't have to know every, you know, single thing, you know, like how to run comps and how to do everything, you know, I think it's good for them to learn that. But yeah, what's more important, you know, the most important thing is building rapport and setting that appointment. And so to that also, I would suggest like, instead of sending them a Calendly link or whatever later, I would just like have them pull it up on the screen and book it right there. I wouldn't even take an extra step. I, you know, just tell them, hey, Okay, well, uh, so you want to set an appointment. Great. Okay, let me pull up the calendar. And this is what we have available. Do these days work for you? Cool. Yes. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and put you in for that date for that time. We're going to send you a reminder, you know, and just kind of like that way it's like done. Because if you can get them to set the appointment on the phone, most of the time, they'll stop. They won't keep calling people. You know, if they're, if they're calling multiple people, of course, this depends on how they came to you. But if they've got a pile, if they're facing foreclosure, they have a pile of letters from investors, mm-hmm. you know, they're just going through the pile, calling people, just waiting to see who's going to solve the problem for them first. Right. So go ahead and set that appointment in their mind. It, it, a lot of times it triggers like the I'm done thing, you know, like, okay, yeah, I got like a appointment. Like now
1: I have a call on that day. I'm not thinking about it until then. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like we're good. Right. So it's set.
1: Out of curiosity, how do you feel about like right now, like your deal flow, your lead flow versus say pre COVID time? Like, are you guys seeing that there's less distressed sellers in the market overall? Um, just because obviously the pressure from the banks and the government are not, it's not happening right now.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, it's crap right now. (laughs) You know, and that's, that's the other thing. And I've been kind of wondering about this myself, because I've talked to a lot of people and I'm like, okay, we've been doing this forever. You know, nothing's different. I mean, like process wise, everything's the same. Yeah. But responses are definitely lower. You know, we're not going on as many appointments as we were.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think, and I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I know Austin, like San Antonio, we're just like overrun with investors right now Mm -hmm. and prices are going up on everything, but I also think there's a little bit of a holding pattern. I think people just aren't, like they know they're not going to get evicted. They know that they're not going to get their house taken away right now.
1: And so
0: everybody, not everybody, but I think some people are just kind of holding and waiting to see what happens.
1: Right. And that was one of the big things that my business partner and I had talked about a couple weeks back because we were obviously paying a VA to make phone calls. And, um, you know, at that point, we're like, is this really the market to be spending money on lead? you know, lead generation when we really didn't have a good process set up originally, like we weren't, it wasn't that we were getting a bunch of, you know, leads every week. And like, we thought our process was working and now all of a sudden it's COVID and it's slowing down. It's like, okay, maybe we should take two steps back right now and kind of regather ourselves and figure out like what the direction is moving forward, but not necessarily continuing it during these times, just because there isn't there isn't a great process in place and then you have less distressed sellers in the market right now.
0: I think that, um, well, I think definitely like the process needs to be worked through. I think you need to sit down and spend some time going through that process. As far as like, um, I wrote some notes down too. So like, how are you hiring? Like first, like where back up, (laughs) start (laughs) with exactly, um, the things that you want this person to do. Like start there, you know, if you're hiring a VA, if you're hiring a VA as a lead manager, what are all the things that you want this person to do in this role? Mm -hmm. And then take that, this is how you build your process, right? So it's like, okay, here's the role. They're a lead manager. Now, what are they gonna be doing? They're gonna be answering the phone, responding to web leads, um, cold calling, um, maybe they're driving for dollars or door knocking or something. They're managing leads in the CRM system. They're managing mailings. Like list all those things out, what you want them to do. And then from there, then you just start dissecting that into how do you do those things? You know, so that there's a really, really clear process there. You know, yeah. Like somebody clear-ish. calls, yeah, like they call, okay. What do you do when the phone rings? You know, here's your script. You know, you're gonna follow the script. You need to build rapport, you need to get at least this information, you need to set the appointment. How do you set the appointment? You log into Calendly. Here's the login. Here's the password. Here's how you set it up. But mm-hmm. like breaking everything down in it's kind of uh, time intensive at first, but if you ever have to replace that person, like if you are going to let this person that you have now go, cause they're not doing very well, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe that's a time to rebuild the process to go through all that. That way you have it in case that position turns over it's there. But the other thing is, is like, even if you're not going to let that person go, maybe they don't understand the role well enough. So then as a leader, you have to look at yourself and like, did I give them all the tools they needed to do the job? Was she just like not good at cold calling? Why? Because she didn't understand how to cold call because she had a bad script because she didn't
1: understand like the follow-up process maybe. Right, right. Um, And I I think it was... Kind of like a learn as we go, just because obviously starting any type of cold calling real estate business in general, you're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to put this into place and we think we got everything checked off on our boxes. And then you realize that you don't. And <laughs> there's so right. much more to it. Um, but I totally like hear what process. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I totally you hear what you're saying. That. Yeah. Like having like, kind of everything as much as possible kind of set and now that we've kind of lived through growing pains over the past year of working with virtuals a virtual assistant like we can really kind of shape and mold that position into kind of a more organized okay this is what we need this is what every single task looks like this is like where the information can be found here's all the logins for everything like really having it kind of detailed and organized so that when the next person comes in to essentially start, we can really lay it out for them exactly what's needed.
0: Um, And when you're laying that out too, it helps you see where the gaps or the problems might be also. Cause if it's not laid out, you know, like with this appointment setting thing, you know, it's like, well, now that, you know, that you should be setting the appointment on the phone, then you adjust the process for that. You know, maybe that's why she was failing you know like not getting the appointment can't get a hold of these people later on because there was no buy-in you know it was just like yeah we'll set an appointment well there was there's no reason for them to communicate with you now because there's no like at least when you set something you know in their mind that they have this like there's a feeling of a resolution coming at least Mm -hmm. and now it's like if they don't set the appointment on the phone you gotta get them back to that place in their mind again where they're ready to take action. Cause they're on the phone and they're ready to take action. Take the action now, set the appointment now. But that could be part of her failure to, you know, reconnect with people later on because there was no urgency or buy-in on the phone call in the beginning.
1: Right, right. Even when we did get appointments actually set up, like we're still having problems like, okay, it's set. It's confirmed by the seller. It's confirmed by us 1 p.m. tomorrow. And they just wouldn't pick up the phone, which again, I think goes back to our conversation of rapport building. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody calls you and tries to set up an appointment, you're like, yeah, yeah, call me at noon tomorrow. Sure. And then like you just don't answer the phone. I mean salespeople right. blow up our phones all the time and that's the brush off, right? It's to set a time and then just know that that they're calling from this number and don't answer it. Mm-hmm. So if you have some type of rapport where you'll actually feel, you know, as humans, feel a little bit bad about not answering a phone call or not or skipping out on a meeting. Um, mm-hmm or even them having like, okay, this person's actually calling me because they're trying to help me or offer me a solution. I mean, they're not, they're just not going to answer the phone. So I think it goes back to like what you were saying is like building rapport and really um, having the seller believe that you're here to help them solve a problem and can help get it resolved and really aligning those two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That rapport building is really key because even if they don't you know, want to act right away, if you've ha- if you have good communication with them and good rapport, then they're more likely to come back to
1: you later on. You yeah.
0: Know, like, oh, I like that person. Yeah. I remember talking to you.
1: Yeah. You like know. it's a familiar, like, oh, I remember their name or, oh yeah. So-and-so was going to call me on this day. And now I remember, and oh, they're calling me.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that, I think a lot of it is probably rapport and then process you know, just like how that's being broken apart. And then, um, even maybe like the follow-up process too. Oh, another thing I was going to mention too, is, um, like consider, um, how they're communicating with you too, because, um, I'm writing this down because that's, that's a big one. That's something that we, um, we talked about, you know, cause it's like, well, I remember the lead manager saying, "Well, I'm, you know, they're not responding to me, blah blah blah," and then come to find out, like, you know, certain people like they can't answer the phone at work during the day, so they're never going to take that call, mm-hmm. you know, or they, if they reach out to you through text, then most likely they're a texter and want to be texted back, or if they call you, I guess they're okay with the phone call. If they reach out through email contacting them through email, maybe that's their preferred method. So one thing to build into your process with that lead manager might be to have her ask the question, what is the best way for us to communicate with you? Do you prefer text? Do you prefer phone call? Do you prefer an email? Mm -hmm. And that way, and also asking them, and what's a good time? You know, I understand we're all busy. You know, if you're at work during the day, I don't want to bother you at work, but Is there a time in the evening where it would be okay for me to call you? So you're giving them all these options. So you're already, you know, presenting yourself as being helpful. You know, like I want to communicate with you the best way for you, the best time for you, you know, and then like sticking to that and putting it in the notes too, so that you don't forget, you know, when that,
1: yeah, Follow like text up. only That's or right. phone calls only during these yeah. hours. Or- yeah,
0: or like she's a nerd or she works nights. You know, we've had that happen too, where somebody works nights like, why can't we ever get a hold of them? And then just shifting the time frame where you're t- trying to contact people makes a big difference. But the, the time and the method need to be looked at also. Because I will tell you, um, for us, text has been really, really effective. And a lot of people that I talk to around the country text, people seem to respond more to text versus a phone call.
1: Yeah.
0: So, um, you know, part of your process could be, and I know we changed our press process this way too, is like, maybe initially you reach out with a phone call, but if they don't answer, you follow up right away with a text because sometimes they won't answer the phone, but they'll respond to your text.
1: Yeah. Because they're working or (laughs) like things going on.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've had full phone conversations just through text, never talked to them at all. It's all through text. So,
1: you know, I think we did start implementing a little bit of text messaging towards the end of working with this particular VA. And I don't think we were really getting a ton of responses, but again, I think that looking at the, the process holistically from start to finish again and reevaluating, like, you know, I think, maybe not right now, but the lead list was good, obviously coming from the county, the batch skip tracing was good. And Mm so really it's like from that point on what needs to be fixed and what are our methods of communication from there and what's our follow-up look like and what are the conversations that are being had and kind of what dialogue um, with the sellers are being had to build that rapport. So yeah, I think that all of that is like key information. And I think it was pieces that we're definitely missing from our original attempt with our virtual assistant.
0: Yeah. So I think moving forward, just like putting that process together and then putting a good script together for them and then teaching them about rapport building and maybe coming up with some questions, like for them to ask in a very conversational way, you know, it's like, And also knowing what type of person to hire, you know, like maybe having them take a disc test, having them see if they are a people person, because they need to be a people person and they need to be into details. Mm -hmm. Those two things are like the big things for that position. Right. If you have them take a disc, their I should be, you know, pretty high. Mm -hmm. And then the C, which is like the details kind of stuff, should also be, you know, 50 or higher. Okay. I would recommend, Yeah. because that tells you they're, they're easy to communicate with, but they're also like watching and listening for all those detail things and taking notes, make sure that they're taking notes too. I don't know if you have that as, as part of your process, but like, I'm a stickler for like, you better put notes in there. Anytime you talk to anybody, I don't care. There needs to be a note in place because that is really helpful as you're going through the follow-ups is the more people you talk to, it's like, I don't remember. And when you at least if you have the notes it's like okay yeah so she said that her cousin might be buying the house in march or whatever you know like you've got those details there that way when you follow up it's like hey did your cousin ever buy the house you know what happened with that
1: yeah so it's not just like a blind phone call again round two (laughs) right right
0: and that that helps too when anybody new comes in also at least they've got a frame of reference for like previous conversations they can go back through the notes and say okay yeah so they talk to them on this day and this day and this day, and this is what happened and just give them an idea. So they're not just going blind into something.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and I think the notes thing, I think notes and information like we were typically pretty good on, I think it it goes back to the key part that you were saying is the relationship building. I mean, people are not going to want to pick up the phone and talk to you even if they've just kind of spilled half of their life story on the phone. Um, if you're not one building rapport and two, like actually showing that you can execute on helping them with whatever problem they're going through and fully understanding the problem that they have.
0: Right, what um what kind of system are they using to reach out to people? Are they using, um, what kind of phone system? Mojo. Mojo,
1: okay. Mm-hmm. Does that offer any recording? I believe it does, but honestly we switched so we were using a different system, and then we switched over to Mojo, and that was towards the end of our trial with working with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and again, like, that was kind of, like, where our head was at as far as, like, asking her, like, what kind of objections we she was hearing and stuff like that to kind of get more context into the phone calls. Um, but even you know, you bringing that up, it's like, maybe she records the calls that she's on and then like flags them in different categories. And then that's the convert. That's like the discussion we have, like, okay, can you pull up a phone call? You had an objection like this and let's talk through it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to suggest like recording the phone calls. I don't know if you're using call rail or not. I'm a big fan of it. We use call rail because a couple of things I like about it is one, um, like you can set up different phone numbers for all of your different marketing channels. Mm -hmm. Everything I do, like I have a postcard phone number. I have a website phone number. I have a probate phone number. I have a drive for dollars phone number. Like, so they're all in call rail. And then when calls come in, it records all the phone calls automatically. So um, you can listen to all the phone calls and know where it came from, you know, because they're calling. So it's all just, you know, It's all your marketing that you're doing, but then you've got it broken up. So you know, like, okay, that was from a probate or that was from a postcard or they came from the website or whatever. Mm -hmm. The recording is the big thing because um, you can do like, just like random spot checks of phone conversations, you know, and that's what I do sometimes I'll just log in and I'll look for like the longer phone conversations Mm -hmm. and I'll listen, you know? but it's a really great tool to have because then you can, you can hear what they're saying. So one, you can make sure they're actually like doing the job right. You know, are they asking the right questions? Are they building rapport? But it's Mm -hmm. like a training tool also, because then it's like, if something goes wrong on that call, then you can kind of dissect it with that person after the fact, you know, it's like, okay, well you said this here, maybe a better way to say that would have been blah, 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 whatever. Right. Or, um, did you notice when she was talking about, you know, this thing, like ask more questions when people start going down that road, you know? So it's a training tool for you to have, you know, to better train them, but also to like know that the job's getting done, that they're answering the phone calls. And then those can actually be turned into KPIs too, you know, cause it's like, I know that a good phone call is going to last more than three minutes. Yeah, Like I want them on the phone for a minimum, at least of 10 minutes, because if they are not spending at least that long, they're not building rapport,
1: you know, if it's a real call, not
0: just one of those, like, take me off your list calls, you know, yeah, or right. or <laughs>
1: like when it's a legit with, call. <laughs> yeah. If you were on the phone with them for over 10 minutes, then like there was more, there's more context to that phone call than just like gathering just basic information. And then they're off the phone. There's obviously right. like more to it than that.
0: Right. And then you can kind of listen in and sort of like hear what they're saying and critique and use that as a, as a training opportunity, you know, and then like you listen to them yourself, you know, and then maybe like flag a couple of phone calls to sit down just and spend the time and say, Hey, I want to go through a couple of these phone calls and just kind of talk through like what went wrong, but also what went right too. So just like, that's the other thing too, is just making sure that if they are doing the right things to let them know that way they, at least they know they're on the right. Track right, right. So, I think that uh, the calling, the recording the call, and reviewing the calls could really be helpful. Um, and then creating those KPIs for them, too. You know, like as part of their job, you know, how many people do you want them reaching out to? How do you want them reaching out? You know, like I expect you to generate X amount of leads per day or per week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it could be a thing where maybe you have to kind of watch them for a little bit and see before you can come up with that. Like what's a good, you know, what's, what's the
1: average. And then like stretch that a little bit as a goal. Right. Instead of being like all 50 calls you make today, you have to get everyone on the phone and speak with them for at least 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) In an ideal world. (laughs) Right. Every 50 calls is going to be a deal. (laughs) I wish. Well, and that also
0: helps you see like how they're converting too, because mm-hmm. if they are having like good phone calls and you can see that, you know, through the uh, reporting, like through call rail or whatever, and you could see like, um, one of the the KPIs that I use is like how many missed calls and what's the live answer rate, you know, cause it's, like, if you're missing too many calls, that's a problem too. Right. You know? Are you picking up the phone live or are you just calling people back after they call like you're not answering and then you're calling them back because that's not good either because that means they just pick up the phone call somebody else which could be another problem if you're not tracking that that could be an issue that she's maybe why she's not getting people back on the phone too
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had call forwarding set up. So like if, if she was done with her shift, we would set it so that the call would auto forward to like me or my business partner. So luckily, like we think that there's probably a limited chance of, of missed calls coming back. But of course, like you can't, there has to be like a system of, you know, being available and making sure that we know like, okay, so she's shutting off firm at this time. And this is the list that she called that day. And this is like, you know, generally speaking, like, okay, if I go into our system, our CRM, and we plug in a phone number of somebody that called us, we should have detailed notes on like, when we followed up with them, how many calls, how many texts did we engage with them? Was there a conversation, et cetera? So,
0: yeah. So I think having that could be, could be helpful too. You know, and then of course, like any kind of automation that you could put in place um, is also helpful. You know, if yeah. you can do like automated text and stuff, which I know we do that through call rail, we've got like some templates set up mm-hmm. that we can just like, cause we don't text blast. It's just, I don't know. It's too like shady and dangerous right now. I feel like. Right. And um, in the RVM, I haven't really heard that working for too many people. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but really, I feel like everybody I know that's tried it, it's just been like, "Eh, doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah. But that's, again, that's not saying that it doesn't work. It could be like, there's a lot of other factors. It could be who they're calling. It could be the message that they're leaving. Like, I don't know. It's just not something that we've gone into. We we're doing it more like on a one-on-one kind of thing.
1: But well, was, so you guys have, like, a successful, like, you know, you've gone through this, you know, more than your fair share of times as far as, like, what works and what doesn't work, right? And if you have a system that's working, it's, like, okay, well, if this is working for us, like, let's not try to, you know, move our – or change our entire system to now doing ringless voicemails only.
0: Because <laughs> yeah. that could be a thing to, like, focus, right? So, like, if you're trying to do too many things – and too many lists, that could also be a problem. So maybe spending some time like kind of tightening that up a little bit. It's like, okay, um, maybe now we're just gonna focus on, you know, pre-foreclosures and probates or something.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and that's kind of what we were focused on before was like, let's get our VA comfortable with like one type of distressed seller, right? Like let's just get her comfortable with asking the right questions and familiarizing herself with like objections and stuff like that just for pre-foreclosures. Like if you start throwing in inheritance and probate, like there is, I know that there's a slew of other things that complicates all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that wasn't something that we were prepared to dive into and also educated enough to be able to teach the VA. This is how you handle those type of phone calls. And these are the questions, and this is the type of dialogue you want to have with them.
0: Yeah, because that could, you know, probate's like a touchy thing. If you have people calling probates, like that's,
1: you know. We did it <laughs> high on the eye scale, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: and have a really thick skin because, oh my gosh, I'll never forget this poor girl we hired. And like, we didn't, that was still, we were still building processes and stuff like that. And I'm just like, she should we should have her call probates you know <laughs> oh my gosh it ended in disaster she quit she came in she was like crying she's like i can't do this because they were people she just, was just they were yelling and they were upset you know because it that's a sensitive thing. Right. Right? somebody's yeah. recently lost a loved one and then you're calling and then they just like people aren't very nice sometimes and <laughs> she just like broke down crying she couldn't handle it And it caused me to rethink, like, okay, maybe calling probates is not such a- Not our
1: thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know um, a couple up in, like, the Waco area that do probate and inheritance. And, I mean, that's kind of where they get their deals from. And they, I believe they make all of their calls on their own. So, for them, it's like, you know, they've been doing it for three plus years of calling on probate. So, I'm sure when they're making these phone calls, they already kind of know how- how to handle some of the questions and the emotions that come up on those phone calls, but yeah, I think it, yeah. it definitely takes like a particular type of skill set not only to understand all the problems that come along with probate and inheritance, but also just the emotional side of the seller that you're going to be talking to, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I so we, we've stayed clear of that. We've stayed pretty much in the foreclosure space. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, we, we market and do deal, we do probates too. And that's actually one of our most profitable things, but we quit the phone calling. So now we just mail them. It's safer. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. We should probably talk offline later. I want to know who's doing the the probate phone call. I would love to hear what that phone conversation sounds like. <laughs> yes, I'd be happy to share. I think you know
1: her, but I'd be
0: happy to share. I, I'm pretty sure I do. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I'll Revisit that later, but yeah, I would just be curious to like, I want to hear, I want to hear one of these phone calls. <laughs> you're
1: again. like, can I, can you call real record this so that I can hear how that phone conversation goes? <laughs> right.
0: Here, let me hand you a couple of my probate leads. Can you call them?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love to hear how they turn out for you.
0: <laughs> I know. That would be awesome. Yeah. Cause that, that's just, you know, again, it's just with all the different methods, like you said, you know, you're completely right. Like those are just different conversations because people are in different spots. Yeah. Know financially emotionally <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah there's a lot of things with that um yeah
1: so I think that all the stuff you shared was super helpful. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not taking notes, but obviously we'll be getting this recording from you. I really wanted to engage and listen to what you're saying and, and take it in. So, um, you know, a lot of the things that we discussed, I think are great. Like the rapport building, the process, making sure you're hiring the right person, um, setting KPIs, recording, recording phone calls, talking about, um, you know, objections and making sure that you have like a really solid process in place along with a script, along with hiring the right person. I mean, there's so many things that I think we touched on that are all things that not that we never thought about. It's just, again, like you don't know what you don't know. And also when you're in the thick of it, it's sometimes hard to come back and be like, okay, how do we improve this process? And I guess this is, you know, a very optimum time for you and I to be chatting just because, we have taken a step back just because of, of COVID and, and what's going on in the market. And when things start to pick up again, hopefully relatively soon, but uh, when things start to pick up again, you know, we'll have all of our ducks in a line to be like, It's, you know, we have everything laid out. This is what it looks like. These are our expectations. Um, Here's the scripts. Here's where you find everything. So no, I think all of this was fantastic. And I think it's like a good resetting point for us and a perfect time for us to kind of go back and review everything.
0: Yeah. And that's like, that's been a really big thing. I think a lot of people have been doing that too, is just kind of stepping back and saying, okay, (laughs) where are all the problems at? Let's kind of start trying to fix some of this stuff while it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. but I would suggest um, one other thing and that is don't stop marketing. Even if you cut it back, don't cut it out completely. And I only say that because marketing takes traction. Mm -hmm. And so if you just stop everything now, it's going to take you months to ramp that back up. So if you can just stay, you know, Like I said, even if you have to cut it back, even if you just deal with like one list or two lists or whatever, and you just kind of focus on those, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't suggest completely stopping because once things turn, that's when people are going to be ready to make a decision. And if you've been out of the picture for months and they haven't heard from you and you know, like through very, you know, through follow-up through phone calls or texts or getting mail from you or, or little reminders or whatever, like if you haven't been doing that during that time, they're going to forget about you and they're just going to go online and look for the next person. But if you've been there that whole time, just like checking in with them, you know, Mm -hmm. Hey, have you changed your mind? Does anything change? Do you need anything? Is everything going okay? Have you made a decision about the house yet? You know, whatever those questions are, Yeah. but just staying in the forefront of their mind and constantly communicating with them that way, when the time comes for them to make that decision, they're going to reach out to you because you were the person that was there all that time. Right. Right. And that's what a lot of people I feel like get in danger because they think, well, we're just going to stop marketing for right now. You know, instead of figuring out what's wrong with my marketing, we're just going to stop. That's terrible because now you've lost any momentum that you had with the people you've contacted. Yeah. Right. And, and they think- save things. They will like people save letters and postcards and things you know not everybody but it's shocking how many places we go on appointments and they've got like stacks of postcards or letters you know from like a year You're
1: ago from you guys <laughs> probably <laughs> <laughs> and look how many calls i have from you guys as well <laughs> no
0: somebody had called not too long ago and it was like from a high equity mailing i'm like dude i haven't mailed that in like over a year <laughs> and they just now called, but you know, you just never know, but you lose yeah. that traction and they're definitely still in our follow-up system. So we're still touching them, you know, just through a phone call or a text or an email or something,
1: but you know, right still there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So. And I, I think that, you know, it, it does get challenging obviously, because like, I, I guess from your point, it's like, You guys are doing so many different, like you have a full functioning business that brings in, you know, this is your full-time job and this is how, you know, you create your financial freedom. Um, It's, it's so, you know just having to like break it down into like a micro scale of like what we can do on our end for like our small amount of leads or our small amount of budget for marketing and, and kind of figuring out what that looks like. But it's definitely something for us to reconsider. as like, what lists do we have that we could continue to touch base with that wouldn't be a huge like financial strain and also would actually be, you know, profitable. It's not a foreclosure where they're foreclosing next month and like after that we don't, you know, they go to auction or they take care of it and it's kind of a done deal um so yeah I know that we do have like a couple lists that we've we've gotten that aren't necessarily foreclosure lists that we could do mailers to or something like that just in the interim period right now um while we're figuring out next steps with a virtual assistant
0: yeah so I think having that process for that VA like really honed in Mm
1: -hmm. really well
0: especially because you said something that I think people, I want to remind people about, especially like if you're working a full-time job and trying to do real estate part-time, mm-hmm. the more that you can automate and systematize, the easier things are going to be for you because in you, you have to, like you can't, if you don't have your full energy 40 hours a week or whatever to put towards this, you're going to have to be smarter with your time. Yeah. So can you be smarter with your time through automation, delegation, and having systems and processes in place that like they, all they have to do is follow the steps. I mean, it's dumb it down as much as you can. Yeah. You know, that but way. Just taking yeah. that
1: time on the front end to build out all of that so that when it does get turned over, everything's automated, Their scripts, there's, you know, everything's kind of laid out for them instead of kind of going by the seat of your pants and figuring out things along the way. Not to say right. that that's not still going to happen, but Maybe less likely, <laughs> less, right. less often and less likely for stuff to come up as much that needs like immediate attention or needs to be fixed because this isn't going to happen tomorrow if we don't act on it right now. So,
0: mm-hmm. and the other great thing about all those things is that also will allow you to scale in the future too. Cause you've got that solid foundation built, you know, it's like, well, that process that's nailed down. Like we know that it's working like, mm-hmm now you can scale if you need to hire another VA, you know, or if that becomes too much work for them, if you need to hire, you know, whatever, an acquisitions person, you know, then I would
1: love for it to become a problem. Yeah. (laughs) We have too many deals and we have too many leads coming in and our virtual assistant is too busy and we just, we need to build out. And obviously that's the, the goal for any type of company that's generating their own leads. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I think part of it is like having patience. that like me and my partner did not come from a real estate background. We're also both working full time. We're also both like, we've never owned our own businesses or managed a business for anybody else. You know, we both have worked in sales and operations for, you know, nine 10 years but it doesn't necessarily always translate over to running your own business and knowing how to you know set up processes and making sure that all of the business functionalities are happening you know according to how you want them to happen and then having the time to be able to do all of it as well so I think that's one of the things that we learned when we first got into it we're like let's do this and let's do that and like let's get this set up and like it was all just like let's do this let's do this and then you know now reflecting two years later like I'm so happy for that experience but I don't I also think that there was a portion of time where we were trying to put things together without knowing more information Um, or, you know, really figuring out, you know, our processes and organization styles and stuff like that. And I think that, um, you know, I'm glad things happened that the way that they did. And I'm glad that, you know, we have this time to kind of reflect back and kind of take a step back to figure out what, you know, short term, long term goals are for our company. But, um, you know, at the same time, having a little compassion for ourselves that we both do work full time. And so to have very little time on our hands to be able to do stuff like we did the best we could up until this point with the knowledge that we had. But again, it's all about like growing and continuing to learn and make things more efficient and more automated and, um, more profitable. Right.
0: Right. Right. And it's a learning process. I mean, I kind of the same thing, you know, I didn't have a real estate background or anything either. And so everything I've learned has completely been self-taught through, you know, educating myself through, you know, podcasts and books and stuff like that, but Mm -hmm. mostly just from doing, you know, like you can't put a price tag on the experience of going through something. Yep.
1: Being in the fire. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But then like when you're in it, after you come through that, you know, it's like taking the time to say, okay, what did I learn from that? Like what went right? What went wrong? Mm
1: -hmm. And how can
0: I do it better next time? Mm -hmm. And that's part of your process building too. It's like, you know, you just dump everything out that's happening, regardless if it's working or not, then you can see all the steps, maybe identify where there's some issues and then you can work that process. And if you can't work that process and there's a problem with it, then you know where to make the adjustments and the fixes or to try something different. Right. You know, but you don't know that until you like get
1: it all out. Yeah. And go through it and you're like, why am I not converting leads? Yeah. <laughs> and really taking a step back and kind of pulling it apart to see, okay, where's the breakdown here? And, and we've right. done that, you know, we've done that over the past year. Um, but I think again, it, it's really going back to like, you know, we're missing the rapport piece. We had talked about it with our virtual assistant, but we were really missing that major component and setting up a time on the phone. We were missing that main component. Component and the follow-up and you know, all of these things, all just little things that end up being such huge, um like it, it's the difference between having a deal and not having a deal, right? Right.
0: Right. And when you think about like the money and time that you're spending to generate a lead, it's like, well, I wanna like squeeze all the juice out of this that I can. Right. So they're like, whatever, you know, well, they didn't call me back. You know, it's like Okay. Yeah. Well, what are we gonna do about that then? You know, yeah. how are back? what are
1: we ta- How are we talking to them? Like, how did you leave that last conversation? You know. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, challenging to do when you have little time. But I think if if you're like really gonna do it, you need to make sure that what, however much you're handling, you're able to handle it 100% start to finish. And when I say that, I mean like. If you're not able to listen to 15 calls that the virtual assistant made and actually connected with those people, maybe you should dial down your lead list so that you are actually like performing on the calls that they're getting and you really have a system, you know, basically to the point where you can handle whatever oversight needs to be done on the actual amount of leads instead of being like, call 500 people today and like, oh, you connected with these you know, 15 people. Okay, cool. But I don't have time to go through and listen to those phone calls and learn and hear the objections in each phone call. And not even that you have to go through every single one of them. But I guess what I'm saying is to make it so that it's manageable for the amount of time that you have as a manager of this person. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. You just want to put it all out there that way. And in an easy way too, you know, it's like I'm saying with the spot checking, you know, like that doesn't take a lot of time. doesn't mean you have to listen to every single phone call. I mean, if you have the time, that's great, but, you know, look at the length of time of the phone call and just listen to a couple of those, you know, yeah. like just say, I'm going to spend 30 minutes reviewing phone calls, you know, and then you just pick a couple and listen to them.
1: Yeah. Cause honestly, like whatever. it's not going to be that different. Yeah, I just think whatever we do, it's like more so just making sure that like we have a really good process down than to try to do like a bunch of different things and kind of have processes figured out somewhat for all of them.
0: Right. Yeah. So just start small, just like tighten everything up and just like make a one little focus thing and then build all your processes around that one little thing and then just then add the next one and the next one. You know, there's nothing that says you have to like map that whole entire thing out, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit at a time until it's all done. Right. It's done. It's solid. It's tested Mm -hmm. and it's measured. And then it's reviewed, you know, periodically too. Cause that's the other thing. Once you build those processes, you do have to go back from time to time and just make sure they're still working. Does Mm -hmm. anything need to be changed? Or hey, this new software come out that's going to eliminate four steps out of our process, we should probably get that. And like, then the process changes again when you change software and, you know, stuff like that. So just making sure right. that you're like reviewing those things on a regular basis. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all the information. You've been so helpful. (laughs) And it's a perfect time for us to connect too so that we can take all this information and start kind of figuring out what our next steps are. And especially during, like you said, the slower time, this is a perfect time to be rethinking all of the processes and and kind of our strategy towards real estate investing.
0: Yeah. Strategy is a big one. Well, I'm glad we got to chat finally and yes, hopefully too. we'll get to see each other in person again soon. One of these I know.
1: Things. Hopefully soon.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much. And um, I'll be following up with you again later just to see, you know, how, if you implemented any of this stuff, how it worked out for you and yes, we yes. kind of I love that. catch up. Do you want to real quick, let everybody know where they can connect with you? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So um, Yellow Dog Property is our LLC. We are on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. We have a website. Uh, www.yellowdogpropertysingular.com um, and then my email address is stephanie.bono at gmail.com I'm sure Melissa you have it so I'm sure it'll be in the episode notes um, but yeah please feel free to reach out obviously if you're a female in the Austin area we'd love to have you at our meetup groups um, for the Invest Her group we meet every Tuesday every first Tuesday or excuse me every second Wednesday of every month and we're doing all of our meetups virtually right now through zoom so even if you aren't in the austin area if you want to join us all of the information is um on our meetup group and on facebook as well awesome well
0: thank you so much thank you melissa have a great day thank you